as we consider all of the facets of the immigration question, I want to continue my thoughts um, previously begun on a, another episode. And as you might imagine, because this is an unfiltered, unedited, and unscripted podcast, that episode was interrupted by a phone call. My name is Lisa Noel Babbage, and I am a teacher in DeKalb County, which is in the center of Georgia. DeKalb County actually makes up several congressional districts, and across that, those districts from the north side to the southern part of the county, as you might imagine, you see many disparages. You see many differences between schools in Region 1 versus schools that are in Region, region 6 or 7. And I'm actually coming to you from the campus of a DeKalb County school right now as I reflect and continue to reflect on the immigration question. While many of us understand the impacts to our economy, the impacts to businesses with regards to mandatory E-Verify, with regards to contracting and insurance, with regards to OSHA regulations even. One thing that we often fail to recognize is the impact on our public school system on illegal immigration. A couple of years ago, I taught in a school that was predominantly immigrant, meaning that the American population those students who were born in America, that is, was the minority group, and it was a minority by far. It wasn't even close as to the number of uh, citizens who were natural born versus those who are naturalized and are going through that process of being naturalized. DeKalb County is very diverse, as many metro cities are in this day and age, and, and in order to serve some of those students, DeKalb County developed an international center some years ago. The process of those students entering public schools begins at the international center. I felt fortunate enough to be trained at that center to screen students in order to place them on the appropriate levels when they were in the classroom and to be able to assist teachers in providing interventions to those students so they could grasp the English language more fluidly. However, that process is very different depending on the country of origin and, of course, the base of the native language spoken and their literacy within the native language. So there's many factors that go into um, providing interventions for students of other ethnicities that are foreign to America. Uh, They fall under a category of what is designated as ELL, meaning English language learner or ESOL, which is English speakers of other languages. These acronyms that use are used to label and classify students do not begin to tell the tale of what it means in classroom application. It is having a label is the tip of the iceberg. And what I found in working in this uh, majority minority school was that in my classroom of fifth graders, Um, I say fifth graders because I'm going to step into a book that I wrote about them. They weren't actually fifth graders, but they were upperclassmen. And in order to protect their identities, I have labeled them as fifth graders in the book. But regardless, uh, in teaching in this classroom, I had 34 to 36 students throughout the year. And on average, about 23 nationalities, 23 countries were represented in that group of 30 some odd fifth graders. Your average 
American citizen will have parameters and unique characteristics that make teaching a wonderful challenge. It is something that teachers love tapping into the nuances of their students and bringing the best out of them. But when you have a class that includes 23 regional or cultural backgrounds that you may or may not be familiar with, the unique characteristics that you once took joy in become a burden, a burden that are that is very difficult to overcome within a single uh, classroom year. That is why we have teachers who are certified to teach ESOL. That's why we have teachers who work uh, with early intervention programs, and that's why uh, our tax base is tapped to support the different ways in which students learn. The federal government got involved in this conversation probably back when African-American students um, were found to um, not perform on standardized tests. And I recall several conversations back when I was a schoolgirl as to the bias of those tests and the fact that many African-American students were not... um, had not experienced or had not been exposed to um, the various topics that are discussed on the test. For example, a story about skiing and finding the meaning behind that story might be lost on a student who has lived in an urban center, an apartment, for example, and doesn't have a backyard, let alone uh, has seen snow or been skiing. Uh, So there is a wealth of background knowledge that is typically tapped not only in standardized testing but in classroom teaching. And without that background knowledge, the student is behind the eight ball in performance and the teacher has a very large learning curve to overcome. Well, with students who are speakers of other language, that is intensified. And studies have shown that the uh, rate of helping a speaker of another language to master English at the same rate as their native speaking peers, there is a two to three year delay. Now, many of these students overcome those delays in time, but at the elementary school level, the learning curve, and again, the performance curve, great sound effects, right? We have what we used to call a ghetto bird hovering overhead. So we may have to make this a part three, but um, the point of it is, is that the learning curve that English speakers of other languages have to overcome takes its toll on the classroom effort. And I was able to write a book entitled Not So Cookie Cutter Kids when this epiphany truly hit me. I had taught English speakers of other languages my entire career. I am certified to teach them as well as a highly certified um, educator based on the Georgia standards for educational professionals. However, having many criteria and many degrees as well as 15 years experience could never have prepared me for having 23 different cultural backgrounds in one classroom. That is a challenge that there are no books written to prepare. At the conclusion of that school year, after doing my best to reflect, doing my best to um, help each child feel special, help each child grow academically, socially, and emotionally, 
I was drained. And I said to myself in the final days of that school year that there are simply no more cookie cutter kids. There is simply no more one size fits all. And while many would say there never has been, um, especially as I referenced during that conversation when African-American students were not performing well on tests, not because they weren't bright, but because they didn't have the context, the exposure to the background knowledge that they needed in order to excel at higher levels. Um, when that conversation began, it didn't, it paled in comparison to what English speakers, speakers of other languages go through as they try to understand what is happening. Case in point, recently, um, I was describing what any American child, any natural born American child would know based on the first two or three clues, which was describing a picnic scene. However, my students who were foreign born and had not fully assimilated into the culture had no reference for what I was talking about. Not only does the word picnic have its roots in slavery, it is an American tradition um, that is predominantly found in our Western or British type cultures alone. In other countries, this is not the case. Even if they do dine outdoors, it is not uh, the same sort of scenario, if you will, that we have here in America and that we've come to enjoy, especially in the South. I realized in that moment, again, at the conclusion of that year of teaching students who were from so many diverse backgrounds that the cookie cutter child that standardized tests are prepared for, the cookie cutter child that sometimes teaching and learning is designed for to measure their academic success is completely biased, completely outdated, and completely irrelevant when you consider the dynamics that were in my classroom that year. So how do you overcome that? Well, right now, the federal government and even local boards of education will attempt to throw money at what they see as a quote-unquote problem an unfair disadvantage that these foreign-born students have. Even for students who are first-generation and born here, most of us know the time of assimilation is varied and vast. Throwing money at this situation does not solve the problem. And this is a burden on our tax base. It is a burden on our economy that many people have failed to adequately calculate that many legislators even do not fully understand. It takes a classroom teacher to, to fully grasp um, the scenario I've just laid out for you, which is why I took the time to write the book, Not So Cookie Cutter Kids, because it explains the different learning personalities and the cultural nuances that shape those that are found in today's classroom. From coast to coast, teachers are facing the challenge of how to help students overcome the handicaps that are often uh, accompanied by technology. Our social norms that have changed the way we um, are diligent about homework and classwork and take personal responsibility for the things that, uh, you know, as students we are asked to partake of. And then, of course, the biases that exist. All of this adds up to a puzzle or a tightly wound knot 
that must be unraveled with empathy, with knowledge, with firsthand experience, and with care. That's not something our government is equipped to do. It is something that local school districts with guidance can do much better. Now, the question is, are they doing it? Of course, many states fall short. Many school districts fall short in this matter. But I wonder how much taking the federal government out of this equation could impact student performance for native speakers and non-native speakers alike. Immigration is a tangled web. We understand that historically speaking, our country was designed to welcome in those tempest-tossed. Lady Liberty lifts her light behind the guiding door to welcome visitors from every nationality and background to bring the very best ideas and assimilate them into this one cultural soup we call the melting pot. But when legislators are so far removed from this concept and this ideal, they cannot begin to treat constituents with a type of hand that they deserve as citizens and that they need as people. This is where, again, so many have fallen through the cracks and we have fallen short as a country. Globally speaking, our children do not compete academically. Where we make up for our shortcomings as a whole is in the ingenuity and the freedom of thought that we are allowed to have in this country. And frankly, I believe we've been writing on that for more than a generation. But as this whole idea of capitalism and our republic spread throughout the world, that advantage that we had as Americans diminishes. That advantage that we have as being free thinkers diminishes. Because now, thanks to the internet, you can find free thinkers everywhere. So back to immigration. Back to the fact that they are not so cookie-cutter kids anymore. Back to the fact that America's melting pot has heated up with divisive ideologies. Our government is tasked with coming up with the answer, with being the all-seeing eye as it, as it regards this particular issue. They need a wealth of knowledge to be able to do that, a wealth of experiences to be able to do that with fidelity. They can't use another F word to deal with the problem of immigration in this country. The plot thickens, as you can see. More to come on immigration and other topics in By Faith, the unfiltered, unscripted, and unedited podcast by Lisa Noel Babbage. I bid you peace.